Self-managed superannuation funds are for those who have a substantial amount of money in their super funds and are ready to take the risks on their own. Today, we talk about the role buyers advocates can have to help you on that journey. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Estate Right is becoming a recognised real estate podcast throughout Melbourne for helping people who don't do real estate every day and also helping those who need to brush up on their selling, renting and investing needs. Help us help you by becoming a patron through the realestateright.com.au website so we can ensure we can get the best guests for your needs. Kate Bakos is an independent agent, property investment advisor and owner-manager of a boutique business. Kate is also a published author, podcaster and speaks to the media often. Welcome, Kate. How are you? I'm so happy to be on your show. It's great to finally meet you and hear we're doing it yes. on a screen. Thanks for coming. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Um, now, we want to disclose first up that we are giving general advice here. However, you should always seek advice from an independent financial advisor to discuss your individual needs before creating a self-managed superannuation fund. So, Kate, tell us about your podcasts. Oh, wow. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that one. Um, okay. I, I've got a podcast that, well, three of us run, Dave Johnson yes. and Pete Kalizos. And we've we've been doing that now for well over a year. And we've generated almost 100 episodes between the three of us. And we have a lot wow. of fun. I've known those guys for a long time. We've all got different yeah. uh, experiences and a lot of common ideas, though, which is probably why it's worked so well. So we cover off everything property. Dave touches on mortgages and all of the things that the buyers and borrowers need to know. And Pete's obviously Mm -hmm. an academic, so he's just a a wealth of information. And yeah, yeah, it's been a joy, especially through COVID. We we worked out how to do it online with a virtual studio and yeah, they're they're personal mates of mine as well. So I'm very, very fortunate. And you've also got the property diaries? Diaries. Yeah, that's our in-house podcast. And it's more about the life of a buyer's agent, although I interview special guests that are sometimes in different different industries or they've, they've got something amazing to bring to the table, just really impressive humans in the property and financial services industry. So that's a little bit more ad hoc, but I've, I try and keep it really relatable and help people understand, you know, what a day in the life of Kate Bacos property can look like. Sounds good. So getting on to the uh, topic of the podcast, tell us what is a self-managed superannuation fund? Mm, I love this question. So many people throw this buzzword around, but what we've got to do is step it back and think about what superannuation funds are. They were were designed to help us create a a wealthier tomorrow when we retire or at least a, a better option than relying on the old age pension. And if we look at our population growth and our ageing population now, we, we'd be putting enormous pressure on the taxpayer if we didn't encourage people to sort out a solution. So it's been around for a long time and we have a system where our employers 
put a certain amount of money into our own designated superannuation fund. And a lot of funds out there are industry funds. We've, we've come all the way from defined benefits scheme back in the early days. So there's lots of different superannuation funds and people can pick their level of risk or their level of aggression when they're wanting to, to work their nest egg. And we see as, as people get older, they will back up their or slow down their level of risk so that they're preserving their their nest egg and then they can start accessing it at, at various points um, in their age, depending on their age. So yes. it's very regulated. It's a regulated product and I'm not a licensed advisor for superannuation, so I can't give advice. And I love your questions because we'll talk about wh- what role I do play. But if someone's wanting to talk about their superannuation, they've got to talk to a licensed professional who's usually a financial planner but also uh, an accountant. There, there are accountants that can give advice as well. Now, the difference between a super fund and a self-managed super fund is exactly that, it's self-managed. So that's us saying we don't want to leave it with a fund. We actually want to take control of it and determine what goes into it, what we buy, how we invest it, when we trigger a sale. And it does sound exciting, but it's an enormous weight to have on your shoulders and there's a lot of regulation um, and expectation around how you manage your superannuation fund if you're self-managed. Sounds good and very complicated. It is. It's not for the faint-hearted. That's the one thing about it. No, it's not. I've seen so many people that are excited about SMSF and they're actually on a really good well, they've got a really good super fund themselves. It might be an industry super fund or defined benefits. And when an advisor looks at, at what they want versus what they've got, quite often the advice is keep what you've got. Don't go into SMSF. It's not the right um, way for you to go. So it's a very yeah. individual thing. Yes, definitely. So what advice are buyers advocates not able to give? Pretty much advice around the fund. The advice that we are allowed to give if if we're investment property advisors is taking the metrics that have been determined by the advisor, by the licensed advisor. They might say you can spend 700000 They might say we need a gross rental return of 3.8%. They might say outgoings can't exceed XYZ. And then they'll probably tell us when they'd ideally like the acquisition to occur. So they're the metrics that we work off. And obviously outgoings also take into account maintenance and vacancy mm-hmm. rates. So we have to be all across that so that we can ensure the property will perform to the to match the metrics that we've been given or, or at least not go under a, a threshold that we're given. We've we've had uh, Frank Valantic do his 15-point investment checklist mm-hmm. and all of that sort of due diligence which is required is probably the same uh, things that you need to do to ensure that the property that you buy um, works well as an SMSF property, essentially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's it's such a regulated product and there are, are quite a few dangerous pitfalls, which we'll talk about. Yeah. So yeah. It, I find it's a much stricter brief than a typical normal investment purchase that's going into someone's personal name. Yeah, fair enough. So how much money do we need to have in our superannuation fund before we are allowed to manage the fund ourselves? This is such an interesting question and the answer is it varies. Now, I'm not allowed to tell people what they need to have, but I've certainly come across enough investors and enough um, investors' metrics that have been given by their licensed people to know that 
if someone's got less than 200000 in their fund, I, I would be very surprised if an investor could find someone that would recommend going into um, SMSF and purchasing property. Now, what yeah. has changed is we, we now need to demonstrate that we've got not only liquidity, so leaving a bit of buffer there, but also some asset diversification. So they don't want to see you just going hardcore straight into property and managing lower LVRs, lower loan-to-value ratios and having more liquidity and demonstrating that you've got other assets there. They're all um, part of the, the mix when someone's deciding to do this. And what's really important is having a strategy. And the strategy has to be something that ASIC is okay with. So strategies are usually formulated with your advisor. So what asset breakdown do people normally put in their SMSF? Normally we see a combination of shares and cash. Sometimes you'll see property. Now people can purchase or can can be invested in property without physically going out and finding a property and purchasing it. There's there's other ways that property can be covered. There's a lot of Mm. real estate investment trusts, there's all kinds of uh, vehicles to get you there. So they're the normal ones, the abnormal ones are the exciting ones. You know, we hear about mm. people buying art. Um, there, yeah. there are lots of things that you can pop in your super fund, but you have to have a strategy. Fair enough. So how can property work in an SS, SMSF? It's a handful, isn't it? <laughs> that took yes. me it's a tongue twister on a Monday <laughs> I think property is great, but I've always said this, and particularly for SMSF, it's a long game. So if you're looking at buying yeah. property to make a quick profit, this is not the way to do it. And yeah. there are two ways um, typically, if I keep it really basic, that property can be purchased in the SMSF. It can be purchased yeah. outright. So if there's enough money in the fund, let's say you've got $2 million in there and you want to buy a property for $1 million, well, provided your strategy allows for it and your, your advisors across it, you could walk out and buy a $1 million property and cover your costs and and have um, some income being delivered into the fund. You've obviously got to manage still being in the black. So in other words, you can't run it at a loss. But yes. losses start to come into play when we talk about borrowing money. Now, borrowing money to buy property in the super fund has not been uh, an everyday activity for decades and decades. In fact, it was only 13 or so years ago that instalment warrants were permitted to be used in the self-managed super fund space. And to keep it really brief and a bit vague, Mm. think of an instalment warrant as just leveraging, meaning borrowing money to get a property. Now, there's a lot of restriction around it, but you can borrow money to buy property in your super fund. And to do that, it is interesting and complex because we we actually need to have um, trust setups or at the very least a custodial trust or um, we we hear about the word bear trust. So typically, not always, but typically when a property is is purchased and and it's a leveraged um, setup, you'll see... um, a company as trustee for, you know, the, the Kate Bakos property superannuation fund. Mm-hmm. So the the instruction that we get from the person who has set up the the superannuation, um, it, the borrower's ability to, to put this together legally, all of the entities, we need to be right across that. And it's if we get that wrong, if we get one letter out of place, it can be a real mess. So understanding exactly what the entity is, I sometimes say to the advisor, just send me exactly how you want it written 
on the particulars pages of the contract of sale. I don't want any mistakes. I'll just lift it straight out of your text and into mine. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it's scary stuff, really. Like it's you know just dotting those i's and crossing those t's, just yeah. getting them going. So we will have a short break and come back with more from Kate Bagos, who will tell us how we can benefit from property being in our self-managed superannuation fund. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and today we have Kate Bagos from Kate Bagos Property and the podcasts, The Property Diaries, as well as The Property Planner, Buyer and Professor. A lot of peas going on there. I know. I've thrown you a curveball on top of SMSF. <laughs> We're doing well. Now, <laughs> thanks. Um, so who do buyers need on their team when considering a self-managed superannuation fund? They absolutely, first and foremost, need a licensed advisor. So yeah, SMSF, as I said earlier, is a, a licensed financial product. So someone who's licensed and I would say someone who does a lot of this, you can ask questions, you can um, get referrals, you can check their reviews. Most importantly, talk to them about how many, how many clients they help do something like this and be Mm -hmm. really, really clear that they understand all about you and what you're trying to achieve and that you're getting tailored advice. It's got to be independent and tailored just for you. Yeah. Just a curveball question here. How many self-managed superannuation funds would there be in Australia, do you think? That's a really good question. We've got just over 600,000 in Australia, which is, you know, a sizable number. Whether they're being used effectively, whether they've been doubled up, there's no um, clarification around that figure. But 600,000 says that a lot of Aussies have embraced um, this, this concept. Yeah. Sounds amazing, really, because you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of small funds out there, but there's a lot, there must be a lot of money in superannuation. Yeah, and we've got the big funds, the really big funds. You've got your industry funds, and and for yeah. a lot of um, working Aussies, that's the right vehicle for them. That's that's the appropriate mm. place for their um, for their, their future incomes to be. Yeah, fair enough. So, what property attributes should we be avoiding when it comes to investing in property for your self-managed superannuation fund? Awesome question. And there are quite a few rules and restrictions around super fund purchasing in the property space. And some of the rules are different for property that's purchased outright versus leveraged. So if you're borrowing money to buy a property, there's even more restrictions around what you can do to it. Now, we're not allowed to buy property to improve it. So think about flips. That's not what SMSF is for. So if a property is in desperate need of a significant renovation, it's not going to be one that I'll get excited about. And if someone is looking to use it for personal use, it's a big red cross. That's a big no-no because it's a superannuation um, asset and it's not for personal use. We've got to treat it like a business. And so there's an, an arm's length restriction there. Your friends can't use it. Your kids can't camp in it. You can't get clever about, um, you know, having a different letterbox and all those things I've heard people talk about. Mm. It's not for buying a holiday house, not for one that you can live in now anyway. You've got to, if that's your game plan and you're thinking about what you'll be interested in doing post-retirement, then you might be letting yourself down because you have to think about how you can maximise that money 
and also in, yeah. as safely as possible over the period of your working life because the idea of this is this is your future income. And so mm. maximising that, giving yourself the best chance is what it's all about. If you're doing, um, if you're contemplating purchasing property in your super fund because you're just really excited about calling yourself a property investor and particularly yeah. if you can't do it in your own personal name, that isn't necessarily a good reason to, to do it mm. in super. Stepping forward into time, um, say I buy a property today and uh, I buy it for my self-managed superannuation fund. Um, it's an investment property in a country town, which I know that eventually I might want to move into. Yeah. Do I need to set it up as on the title, it's named after the superannuation fund? And then do I sell it to myself? later on when I want to use it? Interesting. So if <laughs> if you're purchasing this in your super fund, you'll have an entity that y- your advisor will give you that allows it to, to sit within the fund. So if it's leveraged, there'll be most likely a custodial trust involved. And yeah. that's what goes on the title. If you mm-hmm. want to use it yourself during your working life, the only way that, that that can happen with that physical property is if your super fund sells it. So it gets out yeah. of it. If, it. if it's selling to you, you're an interested party and you're, you're not arm's length. So there'll be no doubt some questions raised around the price that it's sold for because you'll need to make sure that it's being sold at, at market value and demonstrate that it's all above board. So mm. if you're wanting to move into it one day uh, after retirement, well, then that's a different story because it's, it's then you know, in, your, in your superannuation fund and by the time you're in full control and, and able to access your super, you, you'll want to make sure that you've devised a way to, to deal with the debt and that will be a conversation yeah. to have with your advisor. But it's really imperative. If that's the game plan, talk to your advisor. I don't recommend it. I think too many people look at property with stars in their eyes and, and link the concept to their super fund. That's not at all what it's about. The super fund is there to make you money and to protect your money. Okay, so yeah, because there'll be some people who want to do a little bit of a you know crossover because they yeah. like things, things I always say to people, think about how you can make the most money today to allow you yeah. to buy what you want in the future. So if this little country town isn't necessarily the best way for you to to maximize your superannuation balance, then buy something that is, and then when it comes yeah. time to hit retirement. Take take your money and then go and do something clever. Yeah. So talking about clever, what are some clever ways of using your superannuation fund or your self-managed superannuation fund for self-employed people? Yeah, this is an interesting one because we've talked about arm's length, but if you are a business owner and your super mm-hmm. fund owns a commercial property that would be fit for your business, you can actually rent it. At, at the going rate from your super fund. So it means mm-hmm. that our super fund can own the office or the factory that, that we work from. And th- that can be quite lucrative for a lot of people. And it's definitely a conversation worth having with your advisor mm-hmm. if you're in that position. That's something to consider for the future, I think. Hmm. Now, how is lending for SMSF different to regular residential lending? Yes, Dave chatted about this, so I'm going to cite him a little bit and give him some credit. Um, yes. And also from personal experience, I've, I've seen it. I'm, I've got property in 
SMSF as well. And the lending rates are higher. It's a different product. It's not, you can't just go and get the, you know, the, the special 1.9% rate for your super fund. It doesn't work that way. Also, yeah. you're borrowing less. So as a, as a percentage of the value of the property, you can't just go and get a 95% um, leveraged a- arrangement. In fact, you'll probably be closer to 50%. I've seen as high as 60 and 70, but it's very, very difficult to do. So what has changed is the number of lenders that are catering to self-managed super fund purchases for property are, are very diminished compared to what they were five six years ago so lots of lenders have backed out of it they've just said we're not covering that space anymore there are still a few Mm. but it's tricky there's a lot of hoops to jump through and also Mm. for some lenders they'll amortize the loan so in other words instead of saying it's we're happy to grant a regular loan length that the loan term might be 10 years or 15 years and for some it might Mm. even be five depending on the super balance and and how they're treating their debt what age they are etc so it, it's not an easy one. What I would say to anyone is do not get out there and put your hand up at auction and assume that you can sort out your super loan. That would be a, a that would have me rocking in the corner to start with. We need to <laughs> yeah. see that there's there's a loan pre-approval there. This is not a space to um, to just be relaxed about. Yeah. I can imagine there'll be some people who just like spontaneously just go bid on something yeah. thinking I'll, I'll have this covered on my self-managed superannuation fund or if not I'll just buy it outright for myself or yeah. whatever it's, it's a terrible idea I remember years ago and it was probably nine years ago so I was um an early buyer's agent back in, in those days I've been doing this for 11 years I was bidding mm. at a beautiful property beautifully finished Californian bungalow it was superb in Glen Iris mm. And I was up against someone who was a little bit of, of a surprise bidder. The agents sometimes call them smokies. So, you know, where did this yeah. guy come from? We, we weren't anticipating. Yeah. And it, he was my challenger. Everyone else had left the race and I was, I was bidding for an overseas client who wanted to one day call this property home. So they'd, they'd given me an appropriate budget given there was an emotional connection to the property. Yes. And this guy was giving it heaps. Anyway, he got it. He, got, he secured the property. And something didn't feel right. It's funny how you can sense that. But, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks later the agent contacted me to say, is your buyer still there? And I, I wasn't entirely shocked. And what had happened was yeah. this guy was bidding to pop it in the superannuation fund and it became abundantly clear it was not going to just be able to be facilitated yeah. for him, whether it, his LVR was out or he wasn't. Uh, he didn't have enough liquidity. I don't know what the issue was. All I know is he couldn't make it happen. His checks kept bouncing and in the end we, we could renegotiate for that property. So yeah. for him there, there could have been losses involved. He no doubt would have had to, to consider some legal issues because he would have cost the vendor an opportunity and time and there could have been penalties. But it's um, definitely not something to be relaxed about. Mm. Yes. Sounds like you need to have the right people on your team, don't you? Totally. Totally, yeah. Awesome. So now what other alarm bells can go off? When people want to do a renovation, I Mm. have to throw cold water on that, you can replace like for like. There are are some strict rules around what you can do and the ATO website is a great one to have a look at because it it details Mm -hmm. clearly what you can and can't do. But when someone's talking flip, 
that's not the vehicle. Likewise, when someone's talking about how they can make it work so that they can use it personally, whether it's a holiday house or moving the kids into something, you can't, yeah, it's not worth trying to get creative. We're we're dealing with ASIC and the ATO. We should just look at the rules and keep it above board. So that obviously alarm bells go off when people are trying to think creatively. And lastly, when, when they've left their run a bit late and they're wanting to wave the magic wand and make fast profits, that property is not able to do that in a safe way. And the last thing that you want to do is bet the farm when you're close to retirement. That could end in disaster. High risk equals high reward. If you're wanting high reward and you've played the safe bet all of your life and you've not been a risk taker, the last 10 years of your working life is not the time to start start taking massive risk. Yes, and I, I can imagine that a lot of people would probably be doing that. There'd be a lot of people thinking, oh, I've only got like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in my superannuation fund. I need to make that like five million dollars now because yep. that's what I need to live on. Yeah, and short answer is no. That that's just too late. If someone's played yeah. the safe card, they need to accept that life has been the safe path, and there's a price to pay for that. And hopefully, you know, someone can have a comfortable life, but anticipating that you can play it super safe and and then at the very end expect riches, it just doesn't work like that. Risk equals reward. And taking educated risks in a controlled environment with the right advice from an earlier age is my favourite way of doing it. Yeah. Yes, I keep telling my 19-year-old to do certain things and he's actually playing the stock market. So oh. um, I'm not sure if it's playing or if it's – oh, he's actually having a quite a good go at it. He's, he's doubled his money in the last six months. So he's Oh, that's incredible. He's done okay. Yeah. He's very into it. He goes, I've got to do three hours worth of research a day. I'm like – Oh, that's gr- okay. wonderful. And that is what it's all yeah. about. I've been coaching my stepson and he's – gorgeous partner and he's just put, purchased his second investment property and her first and yeah. we're super excited for them and it was a lot of education a lot of reading a lot of meetings and for them a lot yeah. of sacrifice they've been saving really hard and living in a bungalow so yeah, yeah. super proud and you know as, as 20 I think she's 25 he's 26 that's quite impressive yeah Nice. What can a buyer's advocate do to make you maximise your return on your SMSF? Yeah, I like this question. When we're purchasing a property, it's not all about capital growth solely. Obviously, yeah. that that's the part of the puzzle that will make a, a successful story a really exciting one. But if we get the other three things wrong, then it won't be an easy journey. So there's four things in total that we need to bear across. First one is making sure it's a growth asset. The second one is all about the yield. It has to match what we've been given from the advisor. No point getting an aggressive capital growth property if the out-of-pockets are greater than what we were told to adhere to because then the fund is not running in the black and we've we've failed the client. The next Mm -hmm. one is picking an area with great vacancy rates, so really low Mm -hmm. vacancy rates. We want to make sure that when one tenant moves out, another one moves straight in. And more ideally, tenants love the property and stay for a long tenure because then you haven't got uh, re-letting fees and, mm. and re-advertising and all of those things. And then yeah. the last one is understanding the demographic because 
different demographics will require a, a different sense of whether it be maintenance or communication, pricing, and if we get that wrong and we've delivered a demographic that doesn't work for our client, then that they could be quite anxious through the process. So in other words, if there's a higher turnover or um, more damage done to the property or more requests that are coming through or whatever it might be, we have to be prepared to have that conversation with the client before we go shopping about the areas that we're putting up. And we often talk about picking a gentrifying area and gentrifying means it's changing. Well, sometimes the changing areas are coming from, you know, a bit more of a, an eclectic mix of, of target tenants or it, it could even be challenging tenants. So we need to make sure that our clients understand why we're going into that area but what are some of the exciting bumpy things in the journey that they need to anticipate not freak out about yeah fair enough so is it preferable for a smsf owner to use a buyer's advocate so that they can get their tax and legal procedures right i would say no because we we don't give tax or legal advice but certainly understanding when there's a gaping hole and they they need to have that answer or have that person there. So yeah. from the point of view of being a little bit of a um, a project manager, I think there's a mm. lot of value to be added by an experienced BA who understands SMSF um, acquisition and all of the quirks, little things ranging from, hey, you need your bare trust, I can't say that it's here, you need to go back to your advisor and come back to me, tell me that it's done. Uh, because I don't always have a direct line to their advisor. I've got to rely on what they're bringing me, and I prefer it in writing. I prefer their advisor to know that they're chatting to me too. Sometimes it might be around um, the legal advice that that they needed um, to make the decisions to to go and do this. Um, And also little things like allowing enough settlement time or making sure that the advisor is aware of the property address and its attributes before we put pen to paper on a contract because there are sometimes some steps that need to be done on the legal side before we can execute a contract. There are some date-sensitive things that we have to be mindful of. So I think that those are that's where a buyer's agent can, can add a lot of value in terms of knowing when to say, hey, I think you need to ask this question before we do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good advice there. Um, like I know that I've done a few things in, in life which um, I believe that I'm doing the right thing, but it's reality is it's not. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just need to have that that helping hand to uh, get you across the line, really. Sometimes you do, yeah. It's it's okay for someone to, to say stop. We're not doing anything further until this is, this is sorted. That's way better than thinking, oh, I'm yeah. not sure if I can or I can't, but let's just plow on ahead. Yeah. Because with with some purchases, you can't unravel things. Mm. Well, I think that's about it for this week. Thanks so much, Kate, for your amazing advice on self-managed superannuation funds and property. So do you have any special offers you'd like to give Real Estate Right listeners? Oh, wow. What a great um, leading. I (laughs) I love meeting new people. And if someone is thinking about asking me questions around what they could do in terms of making a property purchase decision in their personal names or if they want to understand a bit more about investing, I'd love them to make contact. Better yet, I'd love them to to log on and become a listener 
of um, our podcast yes. and yeah, hear what Dave and Pete and I have to say and by all means tap into Property Diaries if you're keen to understand a bit more about the world of buyer's agency and what we do. Yep, sounds good. Okay, so how can listeners get in contact with you to help them on their self-managed superannuation fund journey? Once they've had a chat with their advisor, they should mention that yes. they're looking at enlisting a buyer's agent and make yes. sure that they're in a position to do this and to do it safely and that it's the right yeah. way for them to do it. And then I'd love to hear from them. My website uh, is pretty easy to find and I'm easy to contact. It's just Kate with a C, katebakos.com.au. And I, I have my contact details and email there, pretty responsive with email. And we'll just schedule in a Zoom chat or a meeting and have a chat about what you're looking to do and, and what advice you've got so far. Sounds good. So thanks again, Kate, for joining us today on this podcast. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad you've come along. Now, next week we have Cameron Sharp on from Cranbourne Floor World to talk to us about the different timber flooring we can get in our homes. They are definitely not all the same, and he will give us a quick guide into knowing what's the right flooring for your new home or what to look out for when buying your new home. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.